I'd like to, again, welcome all of you to part five of this series on a man of the Old Testament named Abraham, and uh, also like to welcome all those who will be watching or listening to this online. It's great to be able to share God's Word with you over the internet as well. Um, if you haven't had a chance yet to take out the colored insert in your service folder, that can be a, a guide for you as we sort of navigate our way through a section of Genesis chapter 18. A few years ago, my family and I, we traveled to the Black Hills in South Dakota, and a uh, good place. And on the way to the Black Hills in South Dakota, we, um, we stopped at that place that everyone needs to stop at because there are like a bazillion signs for it, which is Wall Drug. And we gave the, I guess, the the encouragement to our kids who are a lot younger than they are now that they'd be able to pick out one thing from wall drug. And, you know, I thought, okay, 15 minutes later, we'll be on our way. But an hour later, they're still picking and still trying to choose, at least uh, some of them were. And, and Elias, my, my, my uh, youngest son, he picked out, I don't know if he remembers this or not, but a bow and arrow. And the arrow are the kind that has that little suction cup on the end. So this is the same time as the Avengers movie was kind of popular, and they still are, obviously. And so from that time forward, in the car and at the house, he kept calling himself Hawkeye. He was Hawkeye, so he'd shoot people, and he, would, he thought he was Hawkeye. Now, I have an older son and daughter, older than he is, and they're just normal kids. And so older brothers and sisters like to tease younger brothers and sisters. And so instead of calling him Hawkeye like they wanted, or he wanted, they, I don't know if they remember this, started calling him Cupid instead. <laughs> But you can just imagine how Elias loved that, and I'm not even sure he knew exactly what Cupid is or was. I think he did. But this went on. I told Ezra and Chloe to cut it out, and as kids do, as I did when I was a kid, they kind of kept doing it a little bit. And I remember Carrie and I standing up in the kitchen listening to what was going on down in the basement, and Chloe and Ezra were doing it again, calling him Cupid, calling Elias Cupid. And so I'm like, all right, I've told them already. I'm going to go down and, you know, they're, they're going to be in trouble for this. So as I'm walking down the steps, um, before they could see me, I overheard Elias say this to Chloe. He said, Chloe, Ezra said that Cupid is French for Hawkeye. I don't believe it. Do you think it's true? <laughs> And I just, in the steps, I wrote this in my little dad book. That's why I remember it. I just started cracking up and laughing. And I'll say this for my parenting. Because I had that laugh before I actually made myself known, I did a much better job of parenting than if I wouldn't have had that laugh before I got down there. Have you heard the phrase that laughter is the best medicine? You might think there's nothing to it, but doctors tell us differently that actually laughter physically helps you in some ways. I'm going to mention three of them that I read about this week. The first is this, that it's a tension reliever, physically speaking. So a good laugh can release uh, muscle tension, at least what I read, for up to 45 minutes. A good laugh can do that. Um, it helps also actually some, in a small way to fight off sickness, Here's why. The doctors tell us that when you laugh, it releases immune cells and antibodies, which are the cells that fight sickness. And so in theory, probably in a very small way, if you laugh more, 
you're going to have more immune cells, which then will help you be healthier or fight off sickness at the very least. It also is said by mental health doctors to help your mood. So another thing that laughter does, your body then releases endorphins, which are hormones that help keep your mood more level. So in a very real way, if you laugh more, I guess, supposedly, you're happier. Laughter's the best medicine. (laughs) So how much do you laugh? Do you laugh a lot? Are you a laughing person? (laughs) I look around and I know some of you laugh a lot and some of you maybe not quite as much. Here's the truth. Statistics say we don't laugh as much as we get older. So one study that I read about, and it's hard to really study this stuff perfectly, but one study I read found that your average four-year-old laughs about 300 times a day. While your average 40-year-old laughs about five. Why the discrepancy? There's probably a ton of different answers to that, probably different answers depending on the person, (laughs) the situation, but here's one thing that I think is probably universal for all of us that plays a part. The older we get, the more responsibilities we have, the more stresses we have, the more disappointments maybe we experience, and at least statistically, we begin to laugh less. So here's the solution, right? Everyone equip yourself with a joke book, watch America's Funniest Videos every day on YouTube, and you will be happier and healthier. How do you think that'll work? (laughs) It's probably not the answer we're looking for, right? You see, here's something that's true. Our laughter, the doctors say, will have an effect on how we handle the stresses of life. (laughs) Can help. But here's something that's truer. How we handle the stresses of life will have an effect on our laughter. And while I don't deny what the doctors say, that it can help to laugh more, what I know is that this, as I labeled, is much, much truer. If we start with the core of how we view life, how we handle life, what we focus on, then the joy will come. (laughs) Then the laughter will come more and more often. And so today, what we're going to do as we continue in the life of Abraham is we're going to see Abraham's wife who had some issues with laughing. And in fact, what we're going to see is she laughed But it wasn't the good type of laughter. And then we're going to talk about the good type of laughter. And all of this, if you've had issues with having joy or you need your laugh back, God willing, God's Word today will help you with that joy. (laughs) So before we get into Genesis chapter 18, I just kind of want to set the stage for things. And some of this is going to be repeat for you if you've been here for all five weeks, but it'll be pretty quick and important to as we move on. So in week one, we learned that Abraham was called from his hometown where he was pretty comfortable to to live in a place he had never been, to settle in a place he had never been. Modern day Israel, it was called Canaan. And so Abraham goes, and as he goes, God sent him with some pretty cool promises. The major ones were these. Abraham, if you and Sarah go to Canaan, you're going to be famous, okay? 
You are going to own Canaan. It's going to be yours. And you and Sarah, who have been unable to have kids so far because they were 75, or he was 75 years old at the time, his wife was 65, you guys are going to have not only a baby, your family's going to be huge. The descendants are going to be huge. And it's going to be a blessing to the world, okay? So 24 years pass. Abraham and Sarah live in Canaan. Abraham is 99. Sarah is 89. And guess how many of God's promises had come true? A big fat zero. Abraham's not famous. They don't own Canaan. In fact, they just had a little, you know, smaller plot of land there. There were still other people that inhabited it. And Sarah's 89 years old, no spring chicken. And, and they haven't had one kid, much less a big family. And 24 years of disappointment had worn on Sarah. And she lost her laugh. More importantly, she had lost her joy and her trust in God. And so that's where we pick it up in Genesis chapter 18 as we look to also get our laugh back today. And we find a conversation that Abraham had with uh, some men that visited his home. So the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. Remember that. The Lord appeared. We're going to come back to that. While he was sitting at the entrance to his home, to his tent in the heat of the day. Verse 3. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. So, The writer of Genesis tells us that these were not three ordinary visitors, that one of them was God, so God took on human form to come to talk to Abraham and Sarah, and then the other two, Genesis 19 tells us, were actually angels. Abraham really doesn't have a clue at this point. He just thinks it's three visitors. The writer tells us it wasn't. God and two angels come to visit Abraham. Verse 3. Abraham said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, and notice the lowercase l, this was a term of respect to to a person that you didn't know and maybe had some standing in the community. Do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Verse 5. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered do as you say. Now, you might read about Abraham's kind of over-the-top hospitality and ask the question, are you sure he doesn't know that these three guys are special guys? And I just want to, you know, make sure you understand this text as well as possible. Um, This actually was very common for nomadic people and nomadic cultures, which at this time Abraham was, to kind of go over the top with hospitality to those who would show up at your home, even uninvited, to to travelers. So, in fact, a few years ago when I was in Israel, uh, we were traveling to Jerusalem and kind of going up some hills, and there were some Bedouin communities. um, They're kind of modern-day nomads, and they they live in, in homes made of, like, metal and actual sheets and things like that. And the tour guide told us that still today, because it's a nomadic culture, if you would, you know, sort of come to one of their Bedouin communities, that they would invite you to stay with them for three days. They would feed you for three days and 
and then I guess on the fourth day you're out of there, but at least for three days the, the nomadic culture still takes care of you, which a little bit of an aside. So we asked the, the tour guide, hey, can we test this out? And so he dropped us off, and we spent three days with Bedouins. It was really, I'm totally joking. I'm just making sure that you guys are, are listening because it's about, I don't want you to, to daydream. Okay, no, we didn't do that. That'd be dumb. But this is true, that nomadic cultures will invite and show hospitality to those who are visiting. Abraham still doesn't have a clue who these people are. Verse 6, So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, Get three seahs of the finest flour, knead it, and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set before and set these things before him. And so Abraham goes about to, to prepare this meal for these three visitors that he's not sure who they are, but they're really God and two angels. And it continues in verse 9. While they ate, he stood, Abraham did, stood near the visitors under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. And Abraham replied, there in the tent. So as I was studying this this week, I'm wondering, you know, maybe this is the first clue to Abraham that these guys were not, you know, just normal people uh, because they mentioned Sarah by name. At the same time, it could have happened that Abraham introduced himself and his wife before the eighth, and it's just not recorded. But long story short, what I want you to take away from this is while Abraham is at the center of our series, when it comes to this visit, Abraham is kind of the supporting actor. These three made it very clear that the reason they stopped by the tent was to talk to Abraham's wife. They had something that they wanted to tell Sarah. Verse 10. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you, Abraham, about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. How old was Sarah at this time? 89 years old, exactly. So Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, probably had her hearing aids in, right? Oh, Sonny. <laughs> Which was behind him. So she's not in the room, she's in a different tent. Verse 12. And Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out, after I'm old, and my Lord, my husband is old, will I now have this pleasure? I mean, really? I'm 89 years old. My husband's an old geezer, okay? How is this going to happen? How are, really, now? And it says, it says she laughed. I thought we were talking about Sarah getting her laugh back today. Well, there's two types of laughter, isn't there? Um, there's the type of laughter that happens when something, the greatest news, the good news happens, and you're just so happy that, <laughs> yes, you're laughing, right? Like, um, like when your husband surprises you with a Caribbean vacation. Or like when the Vikings win the, will win the Super Bowl. Or, or maybe something that's been happening quite as often when the twins win a game, you know, those types of things. Or, or when you've been waiting to be pregnant for so long, right? And, and the baby is born. You laugh. <laughs> yes. Or 
This is the type of laughter, this laughter of joy that actually Abraham had a few months earlier when God in a different meeting told Abraham that Sarah was still going to have a son even though she was 89 years old. Let's look at this verse in Genesis chapter 17. God said to Abraham, again, this is a couple months before Genesis 18, I'm going to bless Sarah and will surely give you a son by her. So Abraham fell face down and he laughed, but it was a totally different laugh. It was like you're, you're pounding on the ground and your feet are going like, yes, yes, <laughs> you know, laughing in that way. He is so happy. He believes. Sarah's laugh, not the same. What was Sarah's laugh like? Well, it's, it's like when your, your husband tells you that you're going to go out on a date. He's going to pick you up at five. He's going to be home at five. You're going to go. And so you get ready. You smell good. You look good. The kids are all ready. They're all bathed and showered. And they're eating dinner. You're just waiting for the ba- go pick up the babysitter. Husband's picking her up on the way type of thing. And then you get a phone call from him about 4.30. It looks like I'm going to be late. At least an hour still trying. An hour goes by, two hours, three hours go by. You, he's been texting instead of calling because he knows better, okay, at that point. The kids are now in bed. You're still dressed up, but you're sleeping on the couch. He comes home, taps you on the shoulder and says, hi, hon. Sorry about tonight. How about I come around again next year and we'll do it then? <laughs> be like, <laughs> fat chance, buddy. <laughs> and there's this, this laughter of disillusionment, of, of anger, of cynicism. That's the type of laughter that Sarah had when these strangers, these visitors say, in a year I'll come back and you're going to have a baby. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? <laughs> and it seems as if it wasn't audible, but now Abraham's really starting to pick up on things. This is not your ordinary person. How did he know Sarah laughed? And, and, and why did she say out loud or in her heart, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Now, there's a huge difference, one huge difference, between the promise of a husband to be home at five and he breaks it and the promise that Sarah is dealing with with having a child, even though it's 24 years later. Here's the big difference. Who set the timetable for the date? The husband did, right? And he broke his promise. Whether for good reasons or bad, whatever, he wasn't there when he said Up until this conversation, was there any timetable set for when Sarah was going to have this son that God promised? No. But there was in one person's heart. Whose? Sarah had a timetable. And it didn't happen when she was hoping, when she was expecting, when she was wanting it to happen. And so Sarah set a timetable. God didn't fail on his promise. He just waited a while. And so what happened in Sarah 
is our first fill-in-the-blank for today. That Sarah, in that moment, believes in God, but she doesn't believe God. And that happens to us, too. It's like when there are moments and times in our life where it's not like we've rejected Jesus, it's not like we're not a Christian anymore, but we're angry with God. And the reason is, is we still believe in Him, but we don't believe Him about His promises, about His love, about His being with us. And so Sarah set up this timetable. God didn't come through when she wanted, and she becomes disillusioned and upset, and her laughter, pfft, <laughs> whatever, whatever. I'm done with God. I'm, I'm done with that promise. That was 24 years ago. Come on. And again, I, I think we can relate to, to Sarah. Huh? The times when maybe we've had certain ideas about things and, and God doesn't come through the way we wanted or when we wanted, you know, like we have plans. We have goals and dreams and the plans are not working out in our life the way we want it. And if God would only ask me what the good plans for my life would be, then God would be well informed and he would do the best plan, which is my plan, right? Or maybe we've been planning for a retirement and I've seen this happen more than once and finally get there, been waiting so long for retirement, finally get there and, and one of the two uh, spouses gets really sick or maybe even passes away. What happens then? This laughter of disillusionment or, or upset anger with God. or Maybe it's just the, the complexity and difficulty of life that has that stripped us from our joy laughter and has replaced it with the cynical disillusionment laughter. Here's what I know. In big ways or in small ways, we've all been there. We've all been where Sarah was. And so I want to give Sarah encouragement today, but primarily give you encouragement because Sarah is in heaven. <laughs> Number two, fill in. The presence of hardship does not mean the absence of God. And that's what we often begin to think. But it's just not true. The presence of hardship does not mean the absence of God. In fact, can, can I quote Jesus for you? So Jesus has his disciples, his, his best friends with him the night before he's going to die, and, and he shares these words of encouragement to them. John chapter, go ahead. Are we stuck? Okay. In this world, you will have trouble, he says. Some great words, right? In this world, my friends, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have hardship. In fact, you know when we should doubt God is if your life had no hardship <laughs> because then that would make Jesus out to be a liar. But Jesus told his followers, sometimes for your faith, sometimes, you know, just because you live in this world, there's going to be hardship. And the reason is not because God's not around. It's not because God doesn't love you. The reason is you live in a broken world. And guess who broke it? Not God. I did. You did. Our sin broke God's perfect plan, his perfect world. And so there is going to be hardship in life, not because God doesn't love us, but because, because of sin. 
And so I thought we're supposed to get our laughter back. (laughs) Well, when we fast forward a little bit in Sarah's life, we find a year later, guess what happened? Yeah, the the pregnancy test came back positive. I don't know if that's with the line or without the line or the squiggle or I don't, I I still don't don't understand those. You know, I got to have the box, you know. But anyway, it came back positive. They're, They're pregnant She's 90 years old. Her friends are talking at the, you know, the quilting club. Oh, my goodness. Did you hear about Sarah? I cannot believe it. She's 90 years old. She just never heard of a 90-year-old having a baby before. And you fast forward to some moments after that baby was born. And we read some words from Sarah that I 100% know have connection to the words and the text that we're reading right now in Genesis 18. We fast forward to Genesis chapter 21. And Sarah said after her baby was born, God has brought me laughter like the real kind, like the joy kind, not the disillusionment, cynical, I'll put on a happy face kind, like the the honest to goodness, there's joy in my heart, laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me, be happy with me, that Sarah had a baby, that God kept his promise. And then here is the ironic thing. There's laughter all over Abraham and Sarah's story. Um, What did they name Isaac? (laughs) What did they name their son? Yeah, there. You guys are smart. All right. And what does Isaac mean? You know what it means, laughter? They named their son laughter. You can just imagine every time Sarah called her son that they waited for for 25 years, she would think about real joy and probably a little bit about cynical laughter as well. Hey, Abraham, it's time for dinner. Go out, get laughter. Laughter, clean your room. Like, to us, it's Isaac. To them, it would be as if you're saying laughter every time you call his name. Sarah. She got her laughter back. How? What happened? Let me me put it this way. It's our next fill-in-the-blank. Joyful laughter centered on the arrival of a promised son. See, there was this identity that Sarah deeply wanted. It was to be called mom. And in understandable ways, but also sinful ways, she was not going to be happy until she got that identity. And there was sin in there. But when that promised son was born, she found laughter because she got the identity that she wanted. What does that do with us? Did you know that joyful laughter for you centers on the arrival of a promised son? (laughs) A descendant of Isaac? A truer, a greater Isaac, his name being Jesus? Because the only identity that really counts is forgiven and loved child of God. And you get that identity through the promised Son of God. You get to be called your, with your, uh, your, your sins and all, your mistakes and all, you get to be called forgiven child of God because of this promised Son named 
Jesus. And so the reality of how to be and have more joy is, is not to laugh more so that we find joy. It's to understand real joy so that we laugh more. <laughs> real joy in what Jesus has done for us. So as we close, I, I want to give you an application for today. I'm going to make an observation and then an application. So here's my observation. I've been a pastor for about 13 years. I've been a human being for almost 40. And I've gotten to know people pretty well. As a pastor, I get invited into certain difficult situations, and I'm honored to be able to, to share God's word and for people to entrust me with, with during difficult times. And as I've observed, both as a pastor but just as a person, one thing I've noticed is that um, there are some people who handle really tough difficulties with amazing joy. And so on this side of the spectrum, you have people who deal with a terminal cancer prognosis or the loss even of a child or, or a breaking up of a relationship or whatever it might be. And they are able to get through that with a joy and a peace that I'm just like, wow, I don't think I would be like that. I don't think I would be that happy or balanced if that happened to me. So you've got this group of people. And then I've observed other people. It's like, you know, every little thing and they're like, the sky is falling. My, my post didn't get enough Facebook likes or whatever or my hangnail or whatever. It's like every time it's drama, all the time drama. You probably know people on both ends of the spectrum, right? And then most of us are kind of in between here somewhere. Well, I have found, I've tried to crystallize it, but I have found what I think is a commonality to those who are more over here than over here. The people who tend to have more joy in all things are the people who do better at viewing a life that's bigger than this life. Does that make sense? That they view life in a way that's bigger than this life. And so here's, here's the thing. As you go through life, I want you to love your family and love vacation and love sports and love good food and love a nice house. But where you get your joy, where you find your, your baseline of joy <laughs> is loving a life that's bigger than this life. And all that comes with it, like forgiveness and identity and eternity. And so I just, in application today, I just want you to think about this question. Take home your uh, insert, put it on the fridge or whatever. I want you to think about this. Lord, help me to view my view of life to be bigger than life. Because far too often, laughter leaves because we're so focused on just this life. But if my view of life is bigger than this life, well, you've got joy back in Jesus Christ. And then maybe we laugh more. But it's not about the laughter. It's about the joy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for preserving these words uh, about Abraham and Sarah Thank you for the, the words that you shared with Sarah in that tent meeting. And Lord, as we look at her, we can't help but see ourselves sometimes. 
But we thank you for the, the promise fulfilled to her and the promise fulfilled to us and the entire world through that descendant of Isaac named Jesus Christ. And so we ask you today to help us to view life that's bigger than this life. To that end, we ask for your help and also pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. At this time, our ushers